Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be covering this Psalms 139.16. This is a common Calvinist proof text. They say this verse proves that our entire lives are already written and planned out before we're ever born. And uh, yeah, this is proof positive. Predestination, fatalism, there's nothing we can do. It's all planned out in advance. So we're going to take a look at that and see if this is actually saying the things that they claim. Contextually speaking, this is a Psalm of David. It says, for the chief musician, a Psalm of David. So David's writing it. Uh, you see a lot of personal pronouns, I and me, just almost every single verse. This, this whole thing seems to be about King David, which is interesting. And so contextually, let's read this verse that is at the center of this controversy. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when, as yet, there were none of them. Right? Is that divine predestination? We're all Calvinists now. I remember when I was very young, I read the book, it's The God of the Possible by Greg Boyd. And he had an entire section covering this verse with some possibilities that he's throwing out there. So let's look to see what Greg Boyd says about this. He says here, I'd like to offer four brief considerations in response to this question. First, he's got four of them. So this is the first of four, four responses. So just keep that in mind. First, even if this verse said the exact length of our lives was settled before we were born, it wouldn't follow that everything about our future was settled before we were born. And certainly not that it, that it was settled from all eternity. God can at some point predetermine and or foreknow some things about the future without eternally predestining and or foreknowing everything about the future, we must be careful not to outrun what the scripture teaches. Now, this is this is a very acute point, and it, it, it is actually a point against so many proof texts that the Calvinists use. They'll say, hey, look, here's this God knowing this one future thing in this particular context. Okay, let just let's just assume that's a given, that God knew that one thing. It doesn't logically follow now that he has known it since eternity past and he knows all things into eternity future it's a huge leap of logic yeah you, you can't just go from one to the other even if we grant your point and we're not going to grant your point but even if we do um it, it doesn't say or prove the thing that you're setting out to prove in my previous discussion with McGrew, I pulled up that quote by the Calvinist Bavink, where he says, we don't really technically even believe in predestination because we believe God is timeless. So that is funny. They think things are predestined. They think things are foreknown. But those words don't actually apply because God's not actually subject to time. So uh, they, they don't even believe their own theology. Second, this is Boyd again. The fact that the literary form of this verse is poetry should strongly caution us against relying on it to settle doctrinal disputes. The point of this passage is to poetically express God's care for the psalmist from his conception 
not to resolve metaphysical disputes regarding the nature of the future. And that's absolutely true as well. Uh, Psalms 139 is intensely personal. All the personal pronouns, I, me, it's all about him. <laughs> so I, there, there's the meme where, where the guy has a little ball and he says, hey, I made this. And then someone walks over and he grabs it from him and says, I made this. Well, it, it's like, this, this is my psalm about me. And then we as Christians walk over and we grab it and we say, oh, this is our psalm about us. It's about everything. No, that's, that's not what it is. It's a very personal psalm about the author who's, who wrote it specifically about his personal relationship with God. If it was universalized, it wouldn't be as special, which is evidence against this being a universal rather than a specific. God is with the psalmist, King David. Third, Boyd writes, the Hebrew in this passage is quite ambiguous. Yamstar. First, the word translated in the NRSV as formed can be interpreted in a strong sense of determined or in a weaker sense of planned. Second, the subject matter of what was formed and written in the book before they existed is not supplied in the original Hebrew. It is thus not clear whether what was planned were the days of the psalmist's life rather than the parts of the psalmist's body. So, so keep this in mind. This, this, it's not clear what this verse is talking about. Is this verse talking about the psalmist's body being formed in a succession of days, or is it talking about all his days of his life being planned out from all eternity? What does the context tell us? When we read the context, it's, oh, I've fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame is not hidden from you when I was made in the secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, the womb, when you're being formed in utero. So what is 16 about? <laughs> is it about all the days that you're ever going to live until when you die? Or is this about the succession of body parts forming fetology? wonder what that translation would look like. Let's see. The King James Version is an example of the translation that decided on the latter meaning. It reads, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. Though this wording is a bit awkward, it has the advantage of being consistent with the rest of the psalm, and especially with the immediate context of this verse. Psalms 139 is about God's movement by movement, intimate involvement in our lives. The verses immediately preceding verse 16 describe the formation of the psalmist's body in the womb. Indeed, the first stanza of the verse, verse 16, Your eyes beheld my unformed substance, also concerns the intimate awareness the Lord has of the psalmist even before he is formed. An interpretation of this verse that continues this theme seems most appropriate, whereas one that inserts an unrelated reference to the psalmist's future seems out of place. Finally, this is number four. Finally, even if we choose to take the subject matter of what is formed and written in this verse to be the days of the psalmist's life, not parts of his body, this does not require us to believe that the length of his life was unalterable. Scripture elsewhere suggests that what is written of, of the Lord's book of life can be changed. Exodus 32, 33, Revelations 3, 5. Hezekiah's success in getting the Lord to add, add, quotes, add 15 years to his life supports this perspective. Isaiah 38, 1 through 5. 
as does the Lord's self-professed willingness to alter his decrees. He's made in light of new circumstances, Jeremiah 18, 6-10. The notion that what God ordains is necessarily unalterable is foreign to the Hebrew mind. Four very good objections to this being a proof text for predestination. So very early in my life, I read a whole lot of anti-open theist works as well. One of these is God's Lesser Glory by Bruce Ware, a guy who uh, I did a review of one of his uh, discussions on open theisms not so long ago. I'm not impressed with the man. I don't think he's very honest. And so one thing I noticed that he did is recall that Boyd had four objections. And so this, this Boyd, Boyd's objections are actually addressed in this God's lesser glory. But what does Ware do? Where grabs one of the four objections, he answers one of the four objections, he ignores the other three objections without comment. It's a sleight of hand. It's a dishonest tactic to try to say, hey, look, I responded to the open theist on this particular verse, and so you don't have to care about what they say. <laughs> what was I, I was watching today, uh, our Anthony Weiner interview, and Anthony Weiner's like, Oh, I don't read the conspiracy theory books. I read reviews of them and they tell me what to think about them. Yeah, there's people out there who just get fed their information from people who they quote unquote trust and they outsource their thinking to those individuals. I think that's what Ware is trying to function as here. So let's read what Ware says. Boyd tries to escape the force of this text by appealing to the very odd King James translation of Psalms 139.16, which reads, In part, and in thy book, all thy members were written, while the King James Version puts my members in italics, indicating these words do not appear in the Hebrew original. What is especially puzzling is why the King James translators did not translate what is there. The Hebrew word in question is the very common ordinary word, yamen, days. The LXX translator here rendered this word with the Greek, hemuria, the common Greek word for day, and the commenters of this psalm, many of whom note and reject the King James Version rendering, uniformly take this word in its normal sense to indicate that the psalmist's days were ordained by God before any of them had come to pass. There simply is no legitimate lexical grammatical basis for translating Yaman as members. The meaning of this verse then is clear. As he considers his earliest beginnings, while still in the womb of his mother, the psalmist cherishes the realization that even then God has planned and formed the very days of his life he would come to live. And with the days lived that are ordained by God before there is even one of them, the psalmist has complete confidence that God is control of his life and he can fully rest his life and well-being in God's capable ordaining hands so that even when he faces antagonizing opposition and threats to his life, he knows that he will live every single day God has given to him. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's interesting. So uh, how can we resolve this dispute? Maybe, maybe there's someone that we know that's very close and that's authoritative in Calvinism that can solve this dispute for us once and for all. Luckily, we do have Calvin's commentaries on this, and uh, he lets us into some, some translation skills that he has. He is a scholar of ancient language. He seems to know what he's talking about. So here's John Calvin. 
Interpreters are not agreed as to the second clause. Some read yamen in the nominative case, when the days were made, the sense being, according to them, all my bones were written in thy book, O God, from the beginning of the world, when the days were first formed by thee, and when as yet none of them actually existed. The other is the more natural meaning, that the different parts of the human body are formed in a succession of time. For in the first germ there is no arrangement of the parts or proportion of members, but is developed and takes its particular form progressively. So before we go, let's address Ware's other point. He says the Septuagint says something that, that apparently means that his take about this is correct. And anything that Boyd said about this being about fetology, Boyd and Calvin, let's mind you, uh, all that's nonsense because the Septuagint has some sort of special word. I don't, it, I don't feel like Ware knows uh, Greek or Hebrew. And so I think he's just like shooting in the dark on a lot of these comments. Let's look at this English translation of the Septuagint and see if we could see what Ware is seeing. I will give thee thanks, for thou art fearfully wondrous. Wondrous are thy works, and my soul knows it well. My bones, which thou madest in secret, were not hidden from thee, nor my substance in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes saw my unwrought substance, and all men shall be written in thy book, and they shall be formed by day, though there should for a time be no one among them. I'm not getting Ware's position from this, that all men's days are written in some eternal book that uh, says when they're going to die. And it says everything that's ever going to happen to them in this one book, this, this heavenly book. I just don't see it there. If you notice in this Septuagint translation, when it says all men shall be written in thy book, men is italicized. It's not in the original. And that's where Calvin and Boyd would insert bones. All the bones shall be written in thy book. They shall be formed by day, though there should be for a time be none one among them. All your bones, your, your, your parts of your body are written in this fetology book and you develop in the womb. The Septuagint doesn't magically support Ware's position and then counter Calvin's and Boyd's. Ware does, doesn't seem to be up to date on his scholarship on this point. It seems he's throwing things at the wall seeing what would stick. Summarizing what we talked about, Psalms 139.16 is better read being about fetology. King David is very much concerned with God's role in his life, and he talks about God guiding him from the womb, God being with him during the development of the womb, God guiding the formation process by which the baby comes together, by which David develops in utero. That's what this is about. This is not about eternal predestination of everything you're going to do, every single cough you're going to do on every single day, every time you stub your toe, those types of things being written in some sort of divine book. It's just not about that. The context doesn't show it. It's about that. It makes a lot more sense about fetology. Calvin was right. This is a verse about fetology. Anyways, questions or comments, put that down below or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening.